day. Every day. Here we go. Yeah. <clears throat> and I kick it to all the people who can quest like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Monday morning. It is April 24th. I'm your co-host, Jared Mintz, and joining me on this lovely Monday morning is my co-host, my partner in crime, my hetero soulmate, Joseph Nardone. Joe, how was your weekend? How upset would you be if I told you you weren't my hetero soulmate? I'd understand it. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of life, you know. It is what it is. I'm married. I I'd rebound, okay. You're married to uh, another heterosexual man. I'm not, but I mean, I don't need a hetero soulmate. Sure, you do. Everybody does. Mark Mark Gasol is a hetero soulmate, and his name's Mike Conley. This seems like it backfired on you. How would you react if I told you I wasn't your hetero soulmate? Um, I'd be okay with it. I mean, yeah. you kind of you just say it in the open, and most of the time I just never acknowledge that you say it in the open, so I think I'd be okay. I think that might have been the first time I've said it in a really long time. I was feeling bad for not saying it. You know, it's kind of one of those things, like, when you're on the phone with, like, a parent, and, like, you don't say I love you, and you're like, I should have told them I love them. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> well, we, yeah, we you should always tell whoever you love them, because you never know. It might be their last day. It might, absolutely. We are uh, starting off morose. Good way to start Monday no, morning. No, I just meant that, like, you know, because you never know what could happen out there in that crazy... You never know. You never, ever, ever know what could happen, ever. Uh, let's try to relate you that. You never know. Let's try to relate that to the NBA playoffs. Uh, we had playoffs? Surprising, surprising things happened this weekend that we're not going to waste any time getting into. Easily the best game of the weekend. <laughs> Freezing. Which, not, not, not the sexy pick, but easily the best game of the weekend, I just realized, was the Spurs and the Grizzlies on Saturday. That game went into overtime. Ends on a Marcus Gasol running shot, which was kind of wacky, but it went in, and it was an awesome shot, and Gasol had a great game. But I think the big story here, Joe, is what the hell is Greg Popovich doing playing David Lee all these minutes in a huge game that matters? David Lee plays 33 minutes on Saturday night and is a team-worst minus 15. Joe, does Greg Popovich deserve to be fired? Shit can the kid. Um, the yeah, kid. well, listen, he... Uh... This is weird because, honestly, if you go back to his Game 3 decision to bench all his players in a four-point game to start the second half, um, you could say he's kind of handled the last two games really bad. I know that's not the greatest take in the world to have because Greg Popovich gets a free pass no matter what, but David Lee, who can't play defense, who didn't play very well in Game 4, who maybe five years ago was still a good basketball player, played 33 minutes when Paul Gasol only played 21. Um... I think you could argue somebody like Simmons could could have got more minutes even off the bench or Kyle Anderson. Even uh, Davis Bertrands, who's, like, more active sometimes and, like, looked better on Saturday than Lee did. Like, anybody. Just get anybody else in this game besides David Lee, who, listen, in fairness, like, he had a really good season, a bounce back, you know, all things considered. Played played good basketball for them this year. Just I'm not sure that you're playing him 33 minutes in a close playoff game like this. Yeah, I don't understand because he wasn't he didn't rebound uh, really well, and he's not a good defender. So I don't really know what his role was in there um, because he's not really helping spacing all that much either. So that's where somebody like Bertrands could come in to help with the spacing a little bit, or Gasol really. So it was re- it was just a really weird decision to see him play so much. Um, I mean, maybe Popovich is privy to information we're unaware of with maybe. Gasol had a belly illness or something, but I don't want to give him too much of a free pass because these iffy decisions go back to game three, and uh, now the series is tied 2-2. I do want to touch on that last play in the game where um, after the game when Mike, Mark Gasol couldn't talk and Mike Connolly talked for him, um, Gasol seemed unaware that he had an option to pass it back to Mike Connolly, <laughs> which made it all, all the more funnier because Gasol shot while it went in. He was kind of, it was like a running, fading floater from a seven-foot giant human. It was awkward. It was a weird shot, but it went in, and it was it was a nice Marcus shot. Marcus is so, so good. Like, he yeah. really is. Like, is he, like, I know centers are built different now, and I don't know if Cat's considered a center or Anthony Davis. Like, I think they're considered more, like, super hybrid fours. Is he, like, the best center in the NBA? Uh, yeah, I think Marcus has probably been the best center in the NBA for a couple of years. I mean, you could debate between him and DeMarcus Cousins, I think. Those are typically like your two top guys in the center conversation since since Dwight Howard's body broke down on him. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's incredible, and it's fun to see him and Conley lead this team. Mike Conley had a ridiculous game. He went for 35, 9 rebounds, and 8 assists in that game. He, he's been balling this, this series, Mike Conley. And um, 
it's just it's fun to watch this Grizzlies team, which, you know, the NBA, we kind of talk about all these superstar players and how they put teams on their back. And then you get to, to the, the Grizzlies, who you look at this roster and James Ennis is playing 32 minutes and Vince Carter starting for them. And he's getting 33 minutes, yeah. He's 100 years old. And, I mean, you have you have Andrew Harrison playing meaningful basketball for a team, Wayne Selden. It's just, it's a fun team to watch, and it's a fun team to watch win. They play with so much energy. And, again, this isn't... This isn't the sexy series, but now that the Grizzlies have kind of tied things up, it's one of the more intriguing series moving forward to, to watch. And, you know, shout out to David Fisdale, who we yes. didn't even talk about last week, who goes on his rant, you know, after game two about his team not getting any calls. And his team's responded and played amazing basketball since. Take that for data. Um, how come it's data? Isn't it just data? It is. Um, so, like, that Actually, bothered no, me. I think it's data. I think it's data. And he said, take that for data. I don't remember. No, he said take that for data. data but, I th- yeah. but I think it's called data, isn't it not? I, I oh, maybe it's one of those you can do those, both. Tomato, tomato type of deal. Those, it's not a preface preface thing, but it's a, uh, you know. Tomato, tomato? Sure. Potato, tomato. made a star out of himself these playoffs. Like, the Grizzlies could lose the next two games. And, like, like, if you look at the Grizzlies roster, it shouldn't even be in the playoffs. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not a good roster. Vince Carter's 9 million years old, and it gets legit minutes. Zach Randolph, who's still pretty good, isn't as good as he used to be. It's really Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol's uh, team by, like, leaps and bounds. And then you have guys like Aaron Harrison, who was came out of the uh, college last year, couldn't stay in the NBA, getting meaningful playoff minutes. Wayne Selden getting meaningful playoff minutes. It's, uh, it's really absurd. Like, it really is that they're not only in the playoffs, now tied with the Spurs, who do have a very good roster, 2-2. Right, and the crazy thing is it takes away from Kawhi Leonard, who was just an absolute star in that game. I mean, I think he scored, like, the final, I don't know, he scored maybe the final 20 points or something for them in the fourth quarter, and then he was nuts in overtime, too. I mean, Kawhi had such a ridiculous game, and it's unbelievable that it gets overshadowed that his team lost. He he is turned into the guy who can put the team on his back, and I know he did that in stretches this year, and even did it in stretches last year, but it's, it's great to watch him do this on the big stage. I just can't help but wonder, watching the Spurs, you know, kind of blow their 2-0 lead here and seeing the series tied up, we've had these concerns with the Spurs over the last couple years where they kind of fizzle out in the playoffs, and you look at them and wonder if they're built for a championship run. I mean, this is a team that won 61 games this year. They were incredible last year. I really feel like Memphis has a shot at winning the series. Am I crazy for thinking that? Uh, Probably. Listen, um, this is kind of the way basketball goes, right? Like, after the first four games in the playoffs, it's supposed to be 2-2. It's kind of designed that way. I know it doesn't work that way most of the time. Not in a 2-7 series where the 7 has Vince Carter starting games and the 2 won 61 games. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. Exa- exactly. That's why I don't think Memphis has a chance. Do you know what I mean? Like, the law of averages will say, like, the NBA's playoff system, while it lacks a sense of urgency, is designed for the best team to always win the series. Do you know what I mean? That's why it's the best sure. of 7. So, like, I do think the law of averages plays out and San Antonio wins. Um, it's it's one of those deals. Like, I, I always laugh. Like, if if the series starts 2-0, it's automatically this series is over. Then it's 2-1, and then it's like, oh, we have a series now. Then when it's 2-2, it's like, does the underdog have a chance? <laughs> and then the higher, the better seed wins game five, and it's like, it's over. Like, it's so reactionary, you know what I mean? And I get yes, it. it and I, and I, get, I totally get it because it's fun. Like, I made it. I was still. I was watching um, when I was watching the uh, Cleveland game playing the Pacers, and like I was thinking about how much I love the NBA playoffs, right? And like it kind of dawned on me, like this should even be even more popular than it is because it really is the best basketball in the world being played in like a two month span. It's just the only thing it lacks is a sense of urgency. But in in, in replace of it, you always get you almost always get the best team winning the series, but then something like this happened with the Grizzlies, and then we'll touch on the Celtics and the Bulls in a second, is um, the games, the game, the series are interesting because the lower seed is somehow finding ways to win games they shouldn't. You know what I mean? And that game last night, or yesterday, the Memphis-San Antonio game, it really could have went San Antonio's way. Quiet Leonard missed that uh, regulation buzzer beater shot poorly, and then he started balling out in overtime. And uh, and he played very good in the fourth quarter, obviously, too, before that in the shot. And then you're just like, well, Memphis can't keep pace because they just don't have as deep of a bench. And uh, they did. And it, does, and it doesn't really make sense, but I'm not going to overreact to it and think, like, Memphis is still in the series. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I mean, the Spurs should rebound here. It just they've been a team that, you know, has kind of 
gone out earlier in the playoffs the last couple of years than we would have expected them to. And, you know, the, the way the Grizzlies have played them the last couple of games, I mean, sure, they're at home. They have a ton of momentum. I can't help but wonder if maybe it's a possibility that they could, you know, win another game, possibly even force a game seven here. So, uh, yeah, fun series, fun series. But, Joe, like you mentioned, Grizzlies weren't the only team to climb out of a hole this weekend. We have a tie series in the Eastern Conference between the Chicago Bulls and the Boston Celtics, which yes. everybody was panicking after the first game, after game two as well, with the Celtics, you know, falling down 0-2 at home. They played like the better team the last couple nights, and, and the Bulls have kind of come back down to earth. Joe, what stuck out to you over the weekend with uh, the Celtics tying the series up? Um, listen, it's kind of funny to say it in 2017, but the Bulls clearly miss Rajon Rondo. Um, which shouldn't be that shocking. Do you know what I mean? Like, He's not Rajon Rondo that was like on those Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce Celtics teams anymore. But he's better than Grant. Do you know what I mean? He's better than Michael Carter-Williams, obviously. He was a difference maker for them through the first two games. He right. really was. And then, but, like, if I'm Chicago, you have to look at the series. It's 2-2 still. You still have the best player between both teams and Jimmy Butler. Um, Brad Stevens isn't really loving his bench. Like, he's just not. Like, he's playing, really, a seven-man rotation, and then a couple other guys. Are, like, Rozier is getting a couple minutes, and then Jaberico, I can never pronounce his last name. Jarepico, whatever, gets a couple minutes. So, like, he's playing realistically a seven-man rotation with two other guys just, like, playing spot minutes just to get guys rest. Um, but they're so reliant on Zaya Thomas offensively. Like, when he has a bad game, they're not good. So, uh, if I'm Chicago, I go, yeah, we just, we, the series is tied now. We lost all momentum, which is bu- bullshit. The momentum doesn't really exist. You got to stay confident and realize, like, hey, all we have to do is try to stop or contain Isaiah Thomas and let Jimmy Butler be Jimmy Butler, and we should at least be competitive in the series because they're playing with house money, obviously, because they're the eight seed. So, right. um, if I'm Boston, I'm still worried because they're only good, they're only great when Isaiah Thomas is great. And I don't know, I, I like I said before this when we had Jason Pat on to preview the playoffs. I just don't know how sustainable that is. Uh, Throughout a seven-game series, especially when the series, like this series, looks like a good, it's probably going to go six or seven. Well, it's got to go at least six. It's got to go at least six. But it has the potential to go seven games. So, I don't know. I, I actually still think Chicago's going to win the series. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of split now. I'm not sure who wins. It, it's, it's crazy to think, you know, that they're going to go back to Boston with the series tied and not take care of business at home. I just think it, it's made a difference for the Celtics the last couple of days. Getting that secondary scorer, Avery Bradley was really struggling to start the series. In Game 4, he scored 15 points on 5 of 10, which they, that's all they needed from him. And then yesterday, you get Gerald Green going for 18 points on 7 to 13 from the field. So, I mean, they, they need these guys to step up. Al Horford's been a little bit better on the glass. Does the that make Brad games. Stevens, James Naismith, since he started Gerald Green? Sure. Well, I'm I, saying I because, you know, he basically said, I don't care about the rebounding battle. Let's insert Gerald Green. He knew he needed a scorer. He knew he needed a shooter above all else, which he really got from Green last night. Goes four of nine from three. I, I mean, it's just, it's a weird series. It's not like Chicago is that good of a team. It just seemed like Boston was struggling and Chicago was kind of exploiting their weaknesses through the first couple games. So, I mean, now that we're a little bit more even, uh, I do think that the Celtics are going to take the series now. I just, you never know what's going to happen. You never know. <laughs> That's really all I can take away from this. Uh, not surprising over the weekend was seeing the Cleveland Cavaliers sweep their first round series. Uh, I think LeBron now has 22 first round wins in a row or something. Maybe he's 21 or 22. I don't know. The point is he hasn't lost a first round series or a first round game since 2012. Uh, Joe, what stuck out to you from that Cavs series over the weekend? Uh, LeBron James is special and kind of reminds us why he is the best player of his generation, the best player today. He'll be the best player tomorrow. Like, I... We, we talked about this on Friday, how he's somehow underrated, even though he's just so good. Um, because what was funny about Game 4 was the rest of his team, the, the rest of Cleveland, didn't necessarily play well. I know uh, Deron Williams, who I've been on his bandwagon, I know he was in even plus minus, but he played well. And then, like, but like Kyrie Irving didn't play well. Uh, Kevin Love did not play well. I know he rebounded the crap out of the ball, but he didn't, he didn't play well at all. Offensively. Uh, Tristan Thompson is... Another dude, yeah, like his like if if you're just gonna ask him to rebound and play defense, although he's not as good defensively as he used to be. Um 
it's it's just weird. Like they're still not fixed. I know they swept uh, Indiana, but like they're still not a, like playing very well. It's like LeBron's just playing at an like when we were doing the conversation about like we still think Cleveland could go to the Eastern Conference Finals because you're not going to bet against LeBron James. So yeah, they just swept Indiana. But, like, I don't think it's because Cleveland figured it out. I think it's because LeBron James is LeBron James, and he's just like, all right, everybody jump on my back. I'll take us to the promised land. It got scary for them in the fourth quarter. They were outscored 25-18. to 18. They shot 23.8% from the field in the fourth quarter yesterday. They almost blew that game. Uh, LeBron had bailed them out late again. You know, that's kind of been the case. It's scary to me, though. Nobody outside of LeBron scored more than three points in the fourth quarter, and they're going to need guys. I mean, we're talking about defense being the weakness for this team. But through stretches, you know, it's kind of been LeBron and only LeBron on offense, too. Of course, he's going to get shooters involved. You know, what you mentioned, Darren Williams has really been shining in this series. But aside from that, I mean, where's Kevin Love been the last couple games? Kyrie Irving. Technical error. Sorry about that technical difficulty. We're going to move on anyway. Joe, with, with this series being over now and, you know, the Pacers getting swept, what do you think this means for Paul George moving forward? He was pretty disgruntled, you know, during the series for, for different reasons. I don't like to over-speculate any of that stuff, but obviously it's, it's no secret that Paul George, you know, may not be long for Indiana. Do you think it's best for them to try to move him this offseason? Do you think, you know, when you have a guy like that, you hold on to him and you hope he stays and, and wants to, you know, take the money and stay with you? What do you think happens moving forward here? Well, the thing is, right, like if you're Indiana, you have kind of all signs saying he doesn't really want to stay there. Um, there's financial incentive for him to stay, but if you know, like if you don't, if you're not 100 percent sure you could keep him, if you, if it's 50 50 or worse, you got to move on. You have to get something back for him. And uh, I think, well, when the NBA draft comes up, I think we're gonna hear a lot of rumors. Um, probably most of them coming from Boston because that's the way the world works. But uh, if you could get any kind of significant assets back, um, especially if it's one of the Brooklyn Nets picks, you you do it um, just because. It doesn't seem like he wants to stay at all. And uh, I think, well, I think Miles Turner is a really good player and he's going to become a really good player. Um, I think you've kind of hit, and I, I, I'm not a big blow-up roster guy, but I do think you've hit your ceiling with this team, with Paul George as your guy. Um, because I don't know how many guys you're going to bring over in free agency. I don't know how you're going to build for the draft, why you keep winning in making the playoffs, but as like a lower seed. So, yeah, I w- I would I'd be pro moving on from him. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. You talk about them blowing things up, and essentially, you know, that's what Larry Bird's been doing over the last couple of years, is trying to change everything that they have going on. It, it's unfortunate. Paul George is still, you know, he'll be 27, I think, uh, in a couple months, or actually in a couple days. He's an early May birthday. He's still such a good player, it's hard to lose him for nothing. But like you said, you know, they just, they're changing course, and maybe they can't win around him. And obviously, when you have a guy like Paul George, you know, it kind of keeps you flexible, because he, he's a three, and he does so much well. He's good defensively. Just, you know, everything they've tried, you can't really say has failed. I mean, it's it's not a surprise to, to people who are paying attention that going from, you know, George Hill to Jeff Teague didn't make them better, and that Monte Ellis hasn't aged particularly well, and, you know, they let Frank Vogel go for, for nothing to, to give the job to Nate McMillan. It, it's just, it's been a lot of weird stuff they have, and I think Paul George is kind of kind of realizing what you're saying more than Larry Bird might be, that... His opportunity to win just isn't going to be in Indiana, and maybe he doesn't even care about winning in Indiana. You know, maybe he thinks I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to start a wave of other free agents coming with me. I mean, the rumor has been the Lakers for you know the whole season and even beyond that because he's an LA guy. Uh, they they should have the cap space to bring him in next year, not this year coming up, but the year after. It, it'll be an interesting thing to to look out for. I think he's probably the biggest name player that might move this summer. Oh, I'm, I'm 100% with you, especially after the way Chicago played. They're probably not going to, like, Jimmy Butler's probably there for life now. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna. he's going to be the guy that's going to be the most sought after. It'll be interesting to see. Boston has the most assets, um, but they're, uh, they're the least willing to move on from any of them. So it'll be interesting to see what he's what his market is um, through the trade vet, the trade machines. But, uh, yeah, I think Indiana could get a pretty, pretty penny for him is he's still hitting his prime. He still has a lot of good years left. And uh, I think they're in a good position to get a lot back. I think the only concern, again, is that he, you know, wherever he gets traded to, if they are able to trade him, it might be a rental. That, you know, he really does want that L.A. and that L.A. move. So, I mean, maybe the Lakers will be able to work something out. I mean, we do know that they have a couple pieces and that they are willing to, to make a trade uh, and to move some of those guys. I mean, I think that 
I think that they don't want to trade Ingram, but I think everybody else is kind of on the table for them. Plus, they have a couple of big contracts to be able to make it work. So it'll be interesting to see if the Pacers do kind of grant him his wish or if they're like, nah, buddy, we are not trading you to the Lakers. But we got a couple months to wait and see what's going to happen there. Let's get back to the playoffs. And the next series I wanted to talk about is kind of been the marquee series for everybody, you know, because of the names and the guys that are involved. But on the court, it just hasn't been that intriguing to me. And I kind of thought yesterday's game was a little bit of a dud, too, even though it was close. And I'm talking about the Rockets and the Thunder here. Did you get to watch much of that game yesterday, Joe? Just a little bit. I mean, it was the fourth quarter especially was just not enjoyable basketball. I mean, rules have been put into effect to try and make it so we're not getting the the hack of games. But it kind of happened badly with Andre Robertson yesterday, who went two of eight from from the free throw line in the fourth quarter. Between that and uh, there were a lot of imposed fouls down the stretch of that game. James Harden, you know, has this thing where he he hooks his defender when he's taking threes to get, you know, three free throws. And Lou Williams did it, too. I think it was done on the other side, too. Russell Westbrook kind of ran into, I can't remember who it was in front of him, and forces a three up. Just isn't pretty basketball to watch. And it's funny, you know, we talked about the Spurs and the Grizzlies to lead the, the, the show off today and how, you know, people probably think that's a boring series. That game Saturday night was so much more exciting than game four of the Rockets and the Thunder. And, I mean, yeah, I know we have Westbrook and Harden, and it's your MVP race. Neither of these guys are shooting the ball well from the field at all, it doesn't feel like. And we're getting a lot of isolation and a lot of chucks and a lot of, a lot of bad shots in the series. I just, I, I'm not that interested anymore. Are you, are you still really into the series, Joe? No, I think everybody thought it was going to be a fun series because of the MVP stuff. But, yeah, it's not great basketball to watch. Like, I appreciate James Harden to a huge degree. But I hate his style of play, man. He's like the Bernard Hopkins of basketball. Like, as in he's great, and Bernard Hopkins was great, but Bernard Hopkins was this Philly shell boxer who was defensive first and throw a lot of punches. His matches, his boxing matches were always super boring. James Harden draws a lot of fouls. Um, it works for his team. It helps them win. It's just not the best entertainment to watch on the old picture box. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't really enjoy watching James Harden play because, you know, you can call him a ref baiter, you can call him whatever. Listen, if you're using the refs to your advantage. And he's really, should... the, he's really the master baiter. Yeah, oh, big time, big time master baiter. Um, <laughs> he, he, I, I like him a lot. I think he's great. I think he's fun to watch. It just, it's, it's getting tough to watch, you know, both sides play for free throws. And playoff basketball turns into that from time to time. So, you know, you can't just chalk it up to being this series, but I was hoping for a little bit more free-flowing basketball, and we're not seeing a ton of that. I did think it was interesting for the Rockets yesterday, though, that they had two guys in double figures in the starting lineup, Ariza with 14 and Harden with 16, and then off the bench, you get Nene Hilario has the game of his life. He scores 28 points, 12-12 from the field, Eric Gordon adds 18, and Lou Williams adds 18, so to have three guys on the bench score more points than anybody in your starting lineup, I thought was awesome, but that's kind of what this team is and what they've been all season. And Nene was really working for them down the stretch. So I, it's good to see him play well. Do you think the series is over, Joe, or do you think the Thunder have a chance of coming back? It's over. Yeah, it's definitely over. Stick a Heading fork Houston, in them. Houston for game five, that's it? Yeah, tell Sam Pressy to put on his finest sweater vest to get ready for the end of season presser. I like Sam Pressy a lot. Uh, but uh, he does look, he does look like, like, you know, like he's at Starbucks all the time on his laptop writing a novel. He does. He does have that look. Wow. All right, Joe, one, one more series to get to, I guess, and that's that's the Clippers and the Jazz, which are tied at two after four games. It's been a good series. It's been some good basketball. It's, it's obviously close. Rudy Gobert comes back for Utah last night and has a decent impact for that team. But I think the story here, the story here is more Blake Griffin being out for the rest of the series. Uh, do you think the Clippers still have a chance of winning this without Blake? I do, I do, because Utah's not, like, this world-beater of a team. I think Chris Paul is great. I think J.J. Redick is good. I think DeAndre Jordan's good. Um, I do still think they have a chance. I'm not willing to write them off just because I know Blake Griffin's great and he's your second-best player and all that other stuff and blah, 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 blah. But I think Chris Paul is real. I know people love to bash Chris Paul, but you and I are on the same page with Chris Paul. I think he's great, one of the best point guards to ever play the game. And uh, so I'm not willing to write them off, no. Yeah, I'm not going to write them off either. I mean, we kind of discussed this with Jason, you know, when we did our playoff preview, how the Clippers played good basketball without Blake Griffin last year. And, you know, sometimes their offense is even more free-flowing without Blake Griffin out there. But they they definitely missed him last night, that's for sure. Most Bates just cannot play huge minutes, and, and you expect him to give you what Blake was giving you. 
It's also weird to see Paul Pierce playing minutes all of a sudden after he didn't play at all during the regular season. He's well-rested. Yes. <laughs> he's well-rested, and Utah's a little bit slower. I mean, I think they think he can match up a little bit better with, like, a Joe Ingles and Boris Giao and those guys, even though they play a little bit bigger. I I don't know how to feel about the Clippers moving forward, and I feel really bad that Blake Griffin got hurt. He's just had such bad luck over these last couple of years, and I'd hate to think this is the way that his tenure with the Clippers ends. I mean, we're I don't want to get into that now. We'll have all offseason to speculate what happens with Blake moving forward, but I do think moving forward, you know, Chris Paul is going to do what he did last night and put the team on his back. I just worry it's not going to be enough. I mean, I don't think you can count on 25 points from Jamal Crawford every game, and they needed that to stay in that game last night, and it wasn't enough. So I'm worried for them. I'm worried that, you know, Utah gets Rudy Gobert back, and he makes this huge difference like he did last night. Just defensively, he adds so much to, to that team that they were really missing the first couple games. So moving forward, I, I like Utah in this series, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing. Like, I don't know. Like, he's been great, but I don't know if I try, trust ISO Joe Johnson keeping that either. So... Yeah, like Rudy Gobert makes a huge difference in all this stuff. I just trust Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, and DeAndre Jordan over ISO Joe Johnson. Yep, the the Jazz do have to prove it, and I think that's one of these things, you know, a lot of people were saying entering the season before we were going to pick Utah to be a four seed or to really move up. I mean, this was their first year back in the playoffs in a few years, so it'll be interesting to see if they are able to win a series. You know, they, they catch a break here with Blake being out. Now we find out how good they really are. Um, there's one more team, last NBA playoff topic I wanted to discuss. One more team that's going to be missing a key ingredient that makes them so successful. Golden State Warriors, without Steve Kerr moving forward, his his back injury has just been too bad for him to, to kind of be on the sidelines. I, I don't know if you've read much about it, but, I mean, he had back surgery in 2015 that didn't go well. I mean, that was why he missed the beginning of the 2015-16 season that Luke Walton swooped in and coached for. And uh, since, you know, he's had bad headaches, he's had nausea, he's had back pain, he's just, he hasn't been in great shape, and it, it seems to be getting worse now, which is bad timing for the Warriors. Uh, it, it was ruled he's probably not going to come back this series, and he may not come back during the playoffs. Joe, do you think this team could still win without Steve Kerr? I do. I mean, we saw it with Luke Walton. Um, it's capable of happening. Uh, it's not to downplay the significance of Steve Kerr's role with the team, I'm just... I mean, you have four super-duper-duper stars on one roster. I think they could get by on talent alone. Um, They do have a competent bench there that can help. It's not like they're turning the keys over to, like, I don't know, insert really bad coach. Do you know what I mean? It's not like Kurt Rambis is taking over. (laughs) Well, you got to go there. He was the first name that I could think of that's a, like, historically bad basketball coach. Yes, Mike Brown's taking over, and, I mean, Mike Brown's got a ton of experience, so you got to think, you know, they're in good hands without Steve Kerr there. Also, I'm sure he still has some kind of input. He's just not doing anything, you know, on a game-to-game basis for them, which I think some people probably won't even think is that big of a deal. I know a lot of people called out Kerr during the finals last year, and, um, you know, some people don't think he's that great of a coach anyway. I I do think he's a great coach. I do think he's part of the reason that this team's been so historically great over these last few years. I don't know if it's going to hurt them not having him around. I mean, I think it might help fire them up. But I think the the big point here is kind of what you let off by saying. They have these super-duper stars, and I mean, they look great even without Kevin Durant. They still look like the best team in the playoffs by a mile. Uh, I mean, like, it's crazy. You could say that Curry and, and Thompson have been getting outplayed by, by Lillard and McCollum these last couple games, and they're still winning these games considerably. So, I mean, I, I don't think anything's going to slow them down. I concur, Batman. Right, so they went, what they go, 37-4, and four, I want to say, with Luke Walton coaching them last year. So, something ridiculous. I mean, they, they could still get busy without Steve Kerr. So, uh, yeah, they're still my finals favorites and championship favorites. Hashtag favorites. All right, Joe, you want to put some poop in the basket? Let's put the poop in the basket. Say basket. Topic that we're we're putting in the basket and it's pretty poopy smelly. Uh, Charles Barkley, I'm going to read this from www.philly.com. Don't read the whole thing. No, I'm reading the whole thing. I'm not going to read the whole thing. 
Former Sixer Charles Barkley's look at race in America is coming to TNT next month. American Race, first announced last summer with the working title, The Race Card, is billed as a two-night event that will get a late-night preview May 7th after TNT's NBA playoffs coverage. Uh, Charles Barkley's taking a journey around the country to explore the issue of race from different angles and engage in quote-unquote thoughtful but spirited dialogue with diverse cross-sections of America Joe, tell me how you feel about Charles Barkley leading the conversation on race in America. It terrifies me, mostly because white people love him being the voice of black people, and not one single black person speak, speaks for all black people. And the black community, community doesn't necessarily love Charles's takes on race. So I think it's really dangerous what's going to happen. It has yeah. the potential to be really dangerous. Now, these seem like they might be taped already. So they had to be vetted out of their mind. It kind of just dawned on me now. Like, he already traveled across the country. They probably did all these edits already. It's not going to be live. So I got to imagine, like, it's not as bad as my gut says it's going to be. But who knows? Because if it's white people monitoring Charles Barkley doing race, it could be atrocious. Yeah, it's it, there's just there's a lot of room for this to be bad. <laughs> Um, you know, like you mentioned, there really can't be one voice for a whole race. And I don't really necessarily feel right being two white guys discussing, you know, race from, from black people's perspective. But in terms of trying to be objective about a conversation on race, I mean, Charles Barkley's the guy who goes on Dan Lebetard, you know, during last year's Super Bowl with the Panthers and the Broncos and says, I don't understand why we have to talk about Cam Newton as a black quarterback, you know, and, and says things along those lines when, you know, people are constantly coming out and saying, well, Cam is too animated. Cam has too much of an attitude. Cam, Cam does this and that. When it's clearly about race from the way that a Cam Newton is perceived. And not to make, you know, this Cam Newton thing the the one thing that we talk about Charles Barkley with regards to race about. You go back even 10 years ago and Charles Barkley would be on Inside the NBA at, at the end of a night of basketball saying, America doesn't have a race problem. It has a class problem. So to get somebody like Charles Barkley who often downplays, you know, the negative effects of, of race on, on black people even, I just don't necessarily think it's fair to have him come out and try to start a conversation when it seems like he tries to put that conversation out a lot of the time. I mean, you know, you, you want this to be a nuanced conversation where people can kind of gain understanding to both sides of it. Having Charles Barkley be the guy who, like, caters his black people thoughts to white people just doesn't really feel like like the right way to do this well it's weird too because he's admitted that now that he's like famous and, and has money that he's treated differently and so like if you're not if you like know you're not living in the same world uh, as other black people i don't know if you're the person that should be the voice of the conversation, the, the one that steers it. Now, maybe I could be wrong, we could be wrong, and maybe he's, he's going in with an open mind, and maybe he's only there to man the shipment. Like maybe his name's just attached to the project, and it's going to be more documentary-style type things. But, uh, yeah, it just terrifies me, because like you said, he downplays racism uh, in the country. Uh, he's admitted that he knows that he's not really involved in that kind of uh, situation anymore so like i don't really know what his place like i'm not saying he doesn't have a place i'm just saying like it's just weird that he's going to be the name that's attached to something like this yeah it, it is and i mean he's a guy who even with regards to basketball doesn't seem like he puts in the work to know what he's talking about i think i think it's fair for you to say it's dangerous you know when we're talking about a guy having this serious of a conversation i mean it's kind of just like it feels like clickbait to extents. I don't know why they're putting it on television. And I really hope that, you know, it does start a conversation or it does take a dive into things or it, you know, creates some kind of unity instead of division, which I feel like is all Barkley's done when it comes to race conversations. I mean, I remember, I don't know if it was Ferguson or if it was after the Trayvon Martin, you know, case came out. But I just there, there's been so many instances of Charles Barkley being on TV calling out black-on-black black crime or saying, you know, we shouldn't be having this conversation. Not 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 entertaining conversations that really need to be, you know, conversations. And it just, it doesn't, it feels weird to have somebody who's so, let me think, I want to use the right word here, and I don't feel right, you know, killing Barkley. I mean, the guy's been good on TV, he's entertaining, there's reasons he's getting these opportunities. It just doesn't feel like he would be the most attentive to something like this that, that really is a delicate situation to discuss. Yeah, well, there's a, like, a few, like, you to have this conversation, at least to have it well, you have to be open-minded, and you have to be really, really good with words. And Charles is good with words to a degree, but his issue is 
he'll he'll say something in a way he thinks it sounds in his head, and it, it, like like the whole like going back to the Isaiah Thomas th- Thomas thing when he said about he felt uncomfortable watching him cry. He didn't mean it the way people took it. Do you know what I mean? And that's my fear is he might even say something that he means well, and it's just going to come off wrong because that's the way Charles is. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just man, there's just. It just doesn't seem like a prudent, smart thing to do to have Charles Barkley be the guy to do this. And I mean, it's not my call to make, but I don't necessarily think it's TNT's either. Um, so it's just really weird. It's just a weird thing. Like it does feel a little bit like clickbait. It doesn't feel like this is this um, thing we're. It's not a genuine way to tackle race relations. No, you, if you're doing it, you don't get a, a, a Charles Barkley to do it. You get somebody like an activist or a politician or a bunch of people in similar in those kind of roles or fields to be involved. Not Charles Barkley. It's like getting Bill O'Reilly to extents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're getting somebody who you know their stance and you know that they don't care for you know a conversation about this well that's the thing he doesn't even want the conversation so why is he having a show about the conversation right yep that that's my fear with it too uh it's going to be a four episode show it'll officially premiere may 11th to may 12th with two episodes each night 9 and 10 p.m uh for those who don't wish to wait all four episodes will be available to subscribers through on demand and on the tnt app it's like you were plugging it (laughs) I, I know. I don't. I don't know why, but I mean, if we're going to talk about it, we might as well. Talk well, about it's only fair because, because we could be wrong. Like he yeah, could just maybe it'll be great, and maybe he's literally just a name attached to the project, and it's not what we think it's going to be. Right. It, it said that there are going to be other guests that that join the show, and that it's going to be a who's who of names or something like that. Again, it just feels a who's who of what kind of names of race. Right. A, a who's who of black and white people. I I don't know, man. I don't know what to expect. You know, I I hate to poo poo all over this, which is you know we're putting the poop in the basket. I, I just like the basket. <laughs> obviously, you know, this is a, a sore subject for our country and it's something that, you know, needs to be done. And it's 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 not like this is a terrible idea, you know, to, to have a conversation. It's just this is really the person that you want leading the conversation. But I guess, you know, I guess this is more of a thing. I don't know. It feels like it's being catered to white people, which just feels weird, too. Like you're getting a guy that white America is comfortable with discussing race and, you know, is the issue. I don't know. I don't want to go too far into it. I think we've kind of explored why we feel this is problematic. Was there anything else you wanted to add to it? No, I mean, it's just, it's it's a dangerous to- topic for us to even discuss the idea of Charles Barkley discussing something. Do you know what I mean? That's how dangerous it is. Right, 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 right. And again, you know, we don't mean to come across like we're the authority on race conversation. We're definitely not saying that we're that at all. Just, you know, this is something that we do kind of feel like is a sensitive topic and is a topic that, you know, should be relatable and should be, I don't want to say easy to consume, but should be, you know, appetizing for both sides and not both sides, because obviously there's more than two races in this country, but for everybody to want to digest. And it just feels like it's, this is a bad way to have this conversation. I agree with that sentiment. All right, Joe, let's do some absurd questions. I'm going to lead us off. I'm inspired by Kevin Garnett giving his motivational speech to the Boston Celtics the other night, which apparently helped them come back from this hole that they were living in. Joe, if you can get anyone to give you a motivational speech, who would it be and why? Ooh, anyone? Anyone. Motivational speech. speech. Well, who's good talkers, I guess? Could it it be a dead person? (laughs) It could be Charles Barkley. Uh, It could be whoever. Actually, I will allow you to have a dead person give you a speech if you'd like. Try not to make it family, okay? I don't want it to be personal. No, no. I, my, my, my initial thought was actually John F. Kennedy, to be honest. Um, but I want the speech to be right before I have sex. Really? That's what you need your motivation for? I read something recently where he might have shared a lover with Hitler. Did you ever read that? Hear about no, it? I have not. I did not know that JFK shared a lover with Hitler. Yeah, and it's like pretty accepted that it probably happened. Like, if this isn't like some kind of conspiracy theory or whatever. It was a journalist from, I don't know if she was Russian or German or whatever, and JFK probably boinked her and was in love with her, and then his father was like, no, you can't because they'll think she's a Nazi spy. Da-da-da. Then Hitler courted her at whatever Olympics and that they probably boinked as well. Wait, so you're saying JFK got it first? Oh, yeah. He didn't it's... steal Hitler's girl. Wow, so Hitler stole his girl. No. But he... I was, isn't J- JFK was much younger than Hitler. I listen, I'm just telling you what I read recently. Anyway, it doesn't matter. JFK's a world-renowned bed person, apparently. Yeah, I mean, duh. He's a, he's a 
What's the what's the male cougar? Is there a male cougar? Cougar? Uh, no, he's an old rich guy. I think is the equivalent to a male. Old white rich guy with power. Um, right. He wasn't even that old. Um, no, he was not old. Well, that that's the thing that's kind of crazy to me. So Hitler dies in in 1945. JFK is born in 1917. So I mean, when when did JFK get with this girl? When <laughs> I don't know. Listen, I'm telling you, I read it. Maybe it's fake. Fake news. Whoa! I don't know if it's fake news. Let me let me let me type. You give your answer while I look this up. Uh, you know, I I don't ever prepare to answer my own questions. It would definitely be some athlete. You know, I can't think of anybody else who I'd love to give me a speech. Maybe Barack Obama. I feel like he'd probably get me pretty motivated. But even that, I I don't know. I was thinking Patrick Ewing. So yeah, I'd, I'd go work for the Georgetown men's basketball team. All right, Hitler had it first. Here's it. He she was a guest of Adolf Hitler at the 1936 Summer Olympics and supposedly linked romantically. Then again, romantically with John F. Kennedy. During 1941 and 1942. All right. There you have it. Interesting. Who is she? Uh, Inga Arvard. Is she, what country was she from? Uh, she was born in Denmark. Um, she was a journalism person. She actually went to school at Columbia School of Journalism in New York. A journalism uh, person, Joe. She is a journalist. She had, she had two different spouses. One was Kamal Abdel Nabi, and the other All was right. Tim McCoy. And she had a partner named Robert Boothby. Cool, man. So is JFK your motivational speaker? Yeah, man. Could you imagine that pep talk? Right? All right, y'all. Here's what you're going to do. <laughs> I could not imagine a pep talk from JFK because, uh, yeah, JFK died uh, quite a few years before we were born. Well, I've heard a couple speeches on the old History Channel. Same, same, same. Yeah, I mean, he was a great, great speaker, very charismatic president. People love JFK. Yeah, like, I don't want somebody too old where it's, like, too folksy. Like, I don't need, like, I like Joe Biden a lot and think he's funny. But I don't uh, even like I that. Want a, yeah, uh, I wouldn't want a motivational speech. No, right especially like right before. Like my idea, I guess I don't know why I want a motivational speech before sex, but uh, I think that's give what you, my mind went. Give you something different to think about. Yeah, I probably would have want Patrick Ewing giving me my motivational speech. That that probably wouldn't work. I don't know who it would be. I mean, maybe like Tom Brady because that guy's a good cheater and he's uh very fired up. I don't Tom, know. Tom Hanks wouldn't be like not for sex, but Tom Hanks like motivating me for something random, like to pump my gas. I think it would be pretty cool. Fair enough. I, I think that I don't need cool. motive. I'm, I'm a grown man. Like motivational speeches don't really work on me anymore. Come on. But it'd be, wouldn't it be cool to get a speech from somebody who you're like, Oh my God, I admire the hell out of this person. Yeah. Then I guess it would be like somebody like Stephen King or something. There you go. Do you know what yeah, I mean? I but he's but not like, he's not, a, I don't think he's really well spoken though. Or charismatic. Yeah. I don't yeah. think he's that guy to give you your speech. So that's like, like the issue, the stuff in our field. Like who else is who? Like, and I can't see guys in our field that like I like like uh, Dan Levitard giving a motivational speech. Yeah, I think he'd roast you instead. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'd end up like cowering and crying in, in the corner. Yeah, that's why I was thinking an athlete or even a coach or somebody like that. I mean, maybe Pop. It'd be cool to get a motivational speech from Greg Popovich. I take that. Yeah, that's not but a bad I, one. I also think of like maybe some kind of like maniac athlete, like maybe a crazy person, like may, maybe a pro wrestler. Yeah, dude, like, what about Gary Busey or something? <laughs> well, I guess it depends what you need your motivational speech for. Like, if right. you're going silly stuff, then, like, if it's Gary Busey right before you cut the lawn, then, yeah, that totally works. But if it's Gary Busey right before you're going in for a job interview, probably not great. Right, yeah, because that would be crazy. That, that's a good point. Yeah, and I think it's good of you to identify what you wanted to be motivated for. I didn't even think that far. So, yeah, man. Good yeah. answer. America. Yeah, all right, what do you got for me today? Um, so, <laughs> this is my continued effort to make sure your marriage is horrible, in case your wife ever decides to listen to this podcast. Awesome. If you could sleep with any character from a 1980s movie, who would it be and why? From a 1980s movie, who would it be and why? Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's tough, man. What's your answer? Well, I was thinking, I can't, Jamie, I can't forget, remember her last name, but from Less Than Zero, the movie Less Than Zero, the main female character, or Phoebe Cates from uh, Ridgemont High. Those are good answers. Those are good answers. I don't know. Like, I don't, so I'm, I think of like 90s movies before I think of 80s movies, so I'm kind of just looking through 80s movies real quick. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Ooh, could it, could Jessica Rabbit be an answer here? I don't think that's uh, anatomically possible. You know who's a low-key answer for me, by the way? Who? Sigourney Weaver was a smoke show in the Aliens movies. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. 
That's fair. It's not a bad answer. Like, I'm not going to go Molly Ringwall in anything here. No, so. I'm not a Molly Ringwald guy. No, I don't know. I don't know anybody who is. Um, this is tough, man. This, this is what really about uh, Ali Sheedy was actually really attractive. I know they didn't make her look that in uh, Breakfast Club, but she is attractive. No, she 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 was. She was all right. She had it going. Uh, let's see. Oh, I didn't want to do 90s because I feel like we would have fallen the same trap. Like, I'd end up going Ricci. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, so I went, I went back yeah. another decade just to try to play it safer. No, that, that's not a bad call. Because then you might go Jennifer Love Hewitt or something. You know what I mean? Like, like obvious answers. Call. We're going to have to go callbacks to people that people might not remember. You, right. might, you might go Elizabeth Berkeley. Or not Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Shue. Is yeah. that her name from The Karate Kid? Uh, yes, that is. That Was that Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shue in The Karate Kid? It was Elizabeth something. I want to say it was. I don't know. Man. It was Elizabeth first, not Jesse Spano. No, no, I know. I misspoke there. Um, I'm looking that up now while you figure out who you're going to do. It was Elizabeth yeah. Shue. I was right. Yeah, this is really tough, man. I, I'm just, I'm not like an 80s movies guy like that. Aside from like action movies and like there's nobody in action movies that I would think of. What about um, Bruce Willis's ex in the first I heard? Was that in the eighties or did that come out in the early nineties? That was the eighties. Uh, you know, I almost said Kim Cattrall in a Big Trouble in Little China, but I don't want that. Um, maybe I need to go comedy movies here. No, that's not bad. Comedy movies. That's uh. What did you What did you think? While I'm stalling, what did you think of the uh, the Demolition Man and the Action Hall of Fame conversation? <laughs> well, basically, every movie is in the in the. Uh... Action Hall of Fame. Right, right. That was how it turned. Every movie is in the Action Hall of Fame. Yeah, and then, like, you end up getting guys in the Hall of Fame because of their association to movies. So, like, listen, like, I'm not going to bash Paul Walker because he's gone, but would you ever have thought Paul Walker outside the Fast and the Furious movies is an action movie Hall of Famer? The answer is no, but he's in the Fast and the Furious franchise. So is Ludacris, though. Do you know what I mean? So it's right. a slippery slope they opened up on the Dan Levitard show. But... But does does that movie belong? The oh, franchise. I got, my, I got I got my answer here. Ooh, who is no, it? No, no, no. Does, does Demolition Man belong? Listen, I actually enjoyed Demolition Man, so I say yeah. Murder, really? death, kill. Yeah. Mm. It's a good movie. I don't think it's in the the Hall of Fame though. Listen, I think there's tears. Like I think Die Hard's probably one of the best action movies ever. I think there's like a Gladiator. I think there's uh, the, the first Lethal Weapon. I think there's. Um, Rambo, Terminator, and then I think there's tiers like you go down a notch, and then there's stuff like hokeyish action movies, like which would be, you know, like Demolition Man, or um, I'm trying to think of like some of the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, or some of the Sylvester, like Sylvester Stallone in, uh, oh man, I can't think of the name of the movie, where they like it's just the sake of action because those are the guys playing roles. Like, Jason right. Statham's whole catalog are those kind of movies. They're just not famous movies. Absolutely. Well said. All right, so I'm going with a, a pretty obvious answer here. Uh, not not a real person in the movie, but I'm going with Lisa from uh, Weird Science. Ooh, yes, yes, I remember Lisa from Weird Science, yeah. And that, unfortunately, you know, I wish I had a better answer than that, but I, I think that that's a pretty good answer. You know, I think that, like, seeing 80s movies, she was one of the people that I was like, oh, I'd risk it all. You know, <laughs> and I can't think of many other like I don't want to say Sloan from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, she's like a high school student in that movie. So that's that's weird. Yeah. But you got to um, remember back then, like all those kids that are cast as teenagers are really like in their mid 20s. Yeah. No, of course. If not older. Like Sean, so, Sean Penn was already 45 years old at Fast Time at Ridgemont High. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. But he was old. He was older. Right. He wasn't like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's what I'm going to go with. I feel like everybody else is way too punk rock in 80s movies. So, Oh, I love punk rock. I can't think of a lot of the actresses' names or their characters. Like, I, I blanked when I was thinking of the question. I was like, oh, yeah, like I like um, Phoebe Cates and Sigourney Weaver. And I already forgot who the other person I said was. So, yeah, America. America, that's a good question. All right, well, I wouldn't do that. So, JJ, if you're listening, don't worry. Our marriage is fine. But I, I appreciate you asking that question. Thanks, man. You're welcome terrible person all right guys thank you all for listening so much we really appreciate it we hope you have a great week uh hopefully the spurs lose this series to the grizzlies (laughs) which i I don't think is going to happen and uh it'd be fun to see the bulls win their series but we'll be back on friday to wrap everything up and uh again thank you all for listening follow me on twitter at jmints hoops catch my basketball writing at fanregsports.com Joe, tell the good people where they can find you. Uh, at FanRagSports.com, the Twitter machine at Joseph Nerdone, N-E-R-D-O-N-E. Also, 
I started an independent blog just for random stuff called interwebtimes.com. Interwebtimes.com. Yeah, <clears throat> it's just uh, so far up there I have the uh, seven ways to save the Mass Effect franchise. It's stuff I can't write about, like non-sports stuff. So go there. It's fun. It's silly. It's what is it? Interwebs time? Interweb. So instead of internet, oh, interweb. No Right, in, in, and then interwebtimes.com. I tried just internet times, but that was already taken. Gotcha. All right, Joe. Well, this is fun. NCAA shenanigans. Awesome. I look forward to reading. Oh, you already went to it? Oh, yeah. Well, all I did was reformat the Sporty McSports sites, change the donate name, and uh, now it's the Interweb Times. Good stuff. All right, everybody. Go check that out, and uh, we'll see you guys on Friday. Whoop, whoop. All around me are familiar websites, worn out clickbait, worn out hot takes, bright and early for the daily link dumps, no one's clicking, no one's clicking, their pupils are filling up their pockets, but not for writers. Not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow. No tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you. I find it too hot to take When people blog in circles It's a very, very Mad world Mad world